This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, it's been a busy day, mate. Yeah, a busy day at the end of a busy week. Uh, the week before the season starts is always kind of has that special kind of crackle about it. And yeah, all the things that we've been talking about suddenly exploded into life right before our eyes. Yeah, very much so. We have plenty to get through. Obviously, the return of the Premier League as well is upon us. Uh, Liverpool face Chelsea this weekend, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. The first proper match, I think, that we've been able to preview for a good few months now. So it's good to get back into the swing of things. Um, but before we do, first things first, most important things first, um, fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm doing this first in all honesty so that I don't forget it, but obviously we do a, an analyzing Anfield FPL League. Uh, Mo, have you got a team yet? I literally did it today. Okay. That was, my, that was my original plan was to do it today. Obviously, certain things made that more difficult than I'd have liked, but yes... <laughs> My team is now saved. I'm entering into the league, but I'll be doing that in the next couple of days. Yeah, well, I'll be giving you the code and I'm going to give the code now to our listeners. So if you want to join the Analyzing Anfield FPL League, the code that you need is IRN70I. That's the code that you need. So I'll put this code in the comments underneath the YouTube video as well so that people can join. I think last season we had about 700 players or so. This season, maybe we'll jump over the, the thousand. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that. But in terms of the the Premier League, before we even get to the Premier League, we've obviously got transfer news to speak about today. Um, so for a bit of context as to where we are at the minute, as of right now, at least last night, Chelsea apparently bid forty eight million for Romeo Lavia, and this morning or slash afternoon, um, I was literally actually in the Anfield wrap headquarters recording a transfer show and live is is when the news broke which is quite interesting that Liverpool have apparently something to do with being in talks or bidding or exploring the possibility of getting in Moises Casado. what are your thoughts Mo? Um, well it, it's not only us who've been playing fantasy football by the sounds of it because this all <laughs> sounds a bit mad really doesn't it um, it's funny because Obviously, your emotions go up and down, particularly as the Lavium news, as you say, broke last night and the Casado news broke this morning. But it's hard not to find the whole thing a little bit funny, really, because it is just so ridiculous the way they're doing it. It's almost like Liverpool, Chelsea, Brighton, Southampton are a bunch of school kids and they're all just squabbling over stupid little things. And it's funny because it all looks so weird and unseemly to us who try to approach these things with logic. But... I was listening to uh, another podcast, The Athletic Podcast, and I heard something they were talking about, Rafa Honigstein said. Essentially, transfers have always been a bit like this. We just haven't really seen the play-by-play in so much detail before. So to a certain extent to us, it looks weird and messy. But to the figures in football, to a lot of them, this is just normally how it goes. So strange to kind of take that view and look back and see the, the bid and counter bid and claim and counter claim. My gut feeling 
is still that Liverpool end up with Lavia and Chelsea end up with Caicedo and neither of them are on the field on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame, really, if that if that happens because I would uh, I would like to see Caicedo with Liverpool. I think Caicedo would do a lot in terms of transforming Liverpool into a potential title winner this season. Um, whereas without him, I'm not really sure that we make that jump with with Lavia personally. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, when, when all the Chelsea stuff come out last night, I was quite relaxed about it to be honest. I, I was kind of. Um, I think it was interesting that Chelsea bid forty-eight million rather than fifty, knowing that Southampton's valuation exactly. of Lavia is fifty. So the the bid was never going to get accepted. Chelsea probably wanting to make Brighton sweat, and then this morning, as kind of a response to that, news comes out about Liverpool exploring Casado. So it, it it does feel like those kind of pathetic mind games, to be honest. Um, which you'd like to think that we are above, but obviously we're not. <laughs> No, you're right. We would like to think we're above these things, but that's, as I said, because we don't see them very often. Like normally, we are very good at just kind of magic in a transfer out of nowhere, kind of like with the Zobber's line news. But I really do believe that more transfers are like this than we really understand. So there's a certain amount of leeway I will give them if the deals do end up being done. But I'm like you. Caicedo obviously would take us to another level Aside from his own ability as a footballer and what he would bring to the role, there's the chemistry he already has with McAllister and the ability to... Well, it probably makes any kind of transition from there if the two of them are there to be able to assist each other with it. So that would be a very exciting prospect. But the fact is, is that Liverpool have known Caicedo has been for sale for a very long time. Obviously, earlier than the deal they started with McAllister. But they've only just now made contact with Caicedo. And even if you consider the Fabinho and Henderson news was a different shift, that's still a long time for them to have not contacted him until now. And then even the most optimistic reading of the Liverpool situation, I believe Matt Law tweeted that Liverpool have outbid Caicedo. Outbid, but not bid what Brighton wanted. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. So, uh, yeah, it's. I want to believe, Josh. Trust me, I really do. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the the way in which it's kind of playing out is is making it's not making Liverpool look great. It's not making Chelsea look great either. Really, we are used to Liverpool kind of sweeping in quickly, getting the man, and getting out essentially. And it makes Liverpool look efficient. It makes Liverpool look like they know what they're doing. And early in the window, I said that at, the, at a certain point, it was a 10 out of 10 window so far. And it remains to be seen between now and the end of the window, whether it'll still be a 10, you know, in September or whatever. And as it stands right now, it's no longer a 10 yet. Uh, it's, no. not even, it's not even close. It's not even close, to be fair. But I think if uh, if Casado was going to come in, it definitely boost those numbers. Um, but the fact that this Lavia thing is dragging out... Um, I don't know, it's not a good look. Parts of me does like the idea of Liverpool negotiating and paying less, because obviously why wouldn't you? But when you end up just paying the full amount anyway, which is probably what's going to happen, it's it, it feels a bit Man United, mate. It's kind of been Man United the past couple of years. You look, you look amateurish, I think. Yeah, 
No, I agree. And the other thing we have to kind of factor in in this is that this is a new team going about these um, negotiations. And obviously, Jörg Schmadke has come in and we don't really know fully what his remit is. I think there's some people stalking his villa in Ibiza trying to look through the window (laughs) see what he's actually up to. But obviously, if there are new voices in the negotiation room for Liverpool, even with clubs where they've had long-standing relationships... It does change the dynamic. You never know whether that means that some clubs are trying to take advantage of that potential void in our negotiations to try and hoodwink us and Liverpool trying to be a bit stronger about it. And that's why it's taken long. These are all speculations. We don't know what's going on. But sometimes, just to make yourself feel better, you try to kind of work out where where sense would be in this situation. But... My gut feeling, as I say, is still that Liverpool have done the legwork for Lavia, and so that should be crucial. There is a very large space for him in our team, which I think is also crucial. The other thing with Chelsea, they literally have also just signed Tyler Adams. Like they've, Someone uh, came up to me on Saturday in the Angus and said, why don't you mention Tyler Adams on the next show? Well, because Chelsea have just bought him. That's why we can't mention Tyler Adams. So... <laughs> Their kind of depth is being fixed imminently. So the idea that they would go for Adams, Lavia and Caicedo is fanciful. And I still believe that Caicedo is the one they believe they can get done. I do think from listening to Tim Vickery, he has some kind of connection with Chelsea, not just because of the legwork they've done. I believe he said that Kante was his idol, so he liked the idea of modelling his game on him, following his footsteps, etc., so, yeah, the most logical outcome at the moment is still the one I'm suspect- I'm predicting. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, what I think is interesting is um, on the back of the, the Casado news, a lot of the people, certainly on Twitter, who have been really critical of Liverpool so far this summer um, and basically a bit panicky regarding the new season... Just on the back of the Casado link, it was suddenly completely transformed in terms of Liverpool can win the league out of, out of nowhere, really. And I think that kind of captures the the chaos at the minute. I think I think if we if we do step back a little bit and just kind of relax and look at the squad and look at the situation, all we really need, in my opinion, is Liverpool to start tipping the scale a little bit towards the defensive side of the game. And if Liverpool, don't forget, we've still got about three weeks left of the window. So if Liverpool can do that in the next three weeks, just look at the squad and bring in probably two players minimum who tip the scale a bit towards the defensive side of the game. Liverpool can be a, a force again this season. But um, as of right now, that's obviously not the case. That's why people are panicking. But I think the Casado link captured like just how close we kind of are, really, after getting in Soboslay and McAllister. The attack's pretty much sorted in terms of profiles and players. Um, I know the defence feels like it needs loads of work, but in terms of starting 11, at least, and a goalkeeper, um, but we're not far off being, in terms of the starting 11, the, possibly the best starting 11 in the league. If, if, if you if, Say, for example, you were to add Casado to Liverpool's squad right now, even with Robertson playing where he is, on paper, at yeah. least, it looks like one of the best teams in the league. Um, so we, we're really not that far off. And transfer season can send people crazy, but I think this kind of thing can can help us a little bit in terms of 
coming back down to earth almost. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, I do think that our best team goes up against anyone. And if you add Caicedo to them players we've already got, then yeah, you can understand why people are confident about a league challenge. But the problem with that is that a league challenge requires uh, stamina, consistency, depth. And the thing you are sacrificing by buying Caicedo is most likely, considering the way that our owners operate, the chance to buy a defender. Because if Liverpool are going to end up paying what Caicedo is worth or what Brighton are demanding, it is £90 million. The idea well, that Liverpool do that and then £40 million on a defender. I'd well, like I, I, to I insist, do that. Would, would but, you do that then? Well, look, I would want to do the defender as well. So if I was in charge, that's what we'd be doing. But if but, I, if I was to say to you now, though, you can have Casado, but nobody else. For what would you be saying? I think, <laughs> depending upon the defender, I still I still rather the depth. Personally, mm. I know Casado is very much the transformative player, but I think we've seen in previous teams the problem with having two really good departments and one ropey department. And I believe that defence is one long-term injury away from being virgin on ropey. I think the drop-off, particularly in central defence, is still a concern for me. So, again, there's an optimistic reading where we're so good that that doesn't matter and those injury concerns don't materialise. But... I've I, I said this a lot of times on these shows. I think that spectre of injury is so kind of ingrained in all of us. It's really hard to not forget about it, not um, honour it as a real threat at all times. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's it's possibly a, a question inside the club, but I do think it it, it would be interesting because, uh, you know, if we were to get Casado in, say today, for example, I don't think he starts against Chelsea, but if you, if you look at next week, I think he starts probably against Bournemouth straight away. And I think he becomes a starter for Liverpool for the rest of the season comfortably and for the next few years comfortably. Whereas I think even if we get Lavia in today and we get in a left-sided centre-back in, say Mickey van der Ven or someone who's just gone to space, for example, I think even if we got both of them in today, neither of them are starting anytime soon. And I don't think that there's an argument that, like, say, for example, we get Lavia in, I think it potentially takes a couple of potentially a couple of months before he's actually starting every single week for Liverpool. Um and I think again Van der Ven or or any kind of left sided centre back definitely suits the, the profile of the system better. But you've got to remember the well, player that you're removing out of there it would be Andy Robertson, who's a fixed starter and has been for years. And you know, I know Van Dyke will need will need rest and that and players will need we need rotation for our purposes and things like that. But in terms of starters, Casado would come in immediately, wouldn't he? And, yeah, you know, that's right. That's a good point. And well, maybe the answer would be Casado now and look at a defender in January, along with um, securing that Andre deal for a little bit more depth. Maybe that's the the answer yeah. in our fantasy world where we're actually going to get Casado. <laughs> I know. To be fair, we have to we have to re- reaffirm we're probably not going to get him. So don't don't get carried away with that one. Um, but it's it's interesting, nevertheless. And I think if we if we kind of steer the conversation away from the transfer world, but obviously it's still related and look towards obviously the new season, which is starting this weekend. 
what's what's the overwhelming feeling now? Obviously, we're we're previewing the new Premier League season now, where Liverpool are currently are looking at rivals and things like that going into a game against Chelsea. What what do you feel? My overriding feeling right now is that I can't wait to get started for a lot of reasons. One, because the bits of Liverpool I've seen so far, attacking-wise, I think we look really good. Obviously, there are those defensive questions, but it looks like enjoyable to watch us attack and score good goals. But the other part of the reason why I can't wait for it to get started, because all of the talking that we do and that we all do, it kind of has meaning when there's football there. We get an answer to a lot of our questions. And I honestly, I feel like we need some more information of actual footballers running on pitches, kicking balls, that we can absorb and use that to inform some of how we're thinking and feeling. Because it's also up in the air. It's also, are we really fully optimistic? Should, how much worried should we be? That kind of sense of indecision and tension. We've had it all summer, and I'm ready for some football to kick in so we can get some reality to run through it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, what I've what I've been relying on in that sense is preseason. Personally, like I've been I've been using preseason as those kind of barometers to gauge where we're at and things like that. And I literally said a couple of weeks ago that we shouldn't really do that. And uh, you know, after drawing four all with Glenn Firth. It's not a thing, don't worry about it. What I will say is, I think since then, I did expect Liverpool to start looking a bit better in pre-season, um, which, in my opinion, didn't happen. I don't think Liverpool looked particularly good in any game, even when we beat Leicester 4-0. I, I suppose that was probably the best. But overall, I think across all the games, Liverpool obviously scored plenty of goals and things like that, but I don't think we looked particularly cohesive and watertight um, I don't think the decisions on the ball were particularly good. Like one, one narrative I think is interesting at the minute, personally, is that Liverpool are good in attack and bad in defence. Whereas, from my perspective, Liverpool are good in attack, obviously, but I don't actually think in possession we have been that great in pre-season. I think far too often we've accelerated the game when in bad moments, essentially, we, we've got a team full of Risk takers, which is summed up by like Curtis Jones playing as a six, McAllister playing as a six, Robertson as your left sided centre back. And I think one thing we've seen is a bit of an overflow almost in terms of people just trying too much. And as a result of that, you lose a bit of control. And I think just in comparison to Manchester City and Arsenal in this system, we just seem to have a lot less just control over the game. And I think a lot of that stems from Liverpool's use of the ball, giving it away in the wrong moments. And then you just got to track back 30 yards and you look a bit open and things like that. Um, and I, I do hope that that changes in when the season starts. Klopp yeah. did touch on it after the uh, the last pre-season game. That we, he said, I think he said there's football stuff that we need to work on. Um, but based on pre-season so far, which you, you obviously can't use too much of, we do. We definitely need to improve, and it, it goes beyond transfers. It goes beyond mm. adding Romeo Lavia or someone like that. I think it's it's also just to do with like um, execution of of the system and, and decisions on the ball and things like that. No, you're right, but by the same token, that is to a large extent why I have taken the other option with preseason. I've very much taken a hands off approach with it. 
because I do think that definitely we would be much better off having seen all those things that you said rather than not seeing them, as was the case. You'd much rather you did see them play coherent, cohesive, smooth football, and the system looked like it was working on all cylinders rather than it not. But again, with preseason games, there are so many extra factors in you have to pro in aside from you would normally for a Premier League game, as in you don't know where they are when the training program, how whether or not they're still training on the same day, the day before, what kind of intensity to which they're training, whether they've been given specific instructions in this game. And I think the reason why people have zeroed in on the defence is because in some of the other areas you can say, well, obviously it's not the team that would line up against Chelsea. They're still obviously in both first half and second half teams. There are a lot of young players in reserves. But with the defence, I think Robertson, Van Dijk and Canate pretty much played together the whole time. And those are the three that you would expect to play. Obviously, Trent played with them sometimes, sometimes he didn't. But that's kind of where people zeroed in on the defence to say, well, that is how it's supposed to, or how it is how we're, how we're anticipating it looking against Chelsea. And that does look a little bit still like there's work to do. So, again, preseason games is tough. You have to factor in those extra things. But you're right. You can't just completely dismiss it out of hand. There are reasons you play those preseason games. It's not just fitness. You are still trying to see things. And if we aren't seeing those things yet, we are hopeful that there's still time between now and the start of the season, a couple more training sessions at least, where they can start to get those things right. Yeah, I think based on preseason, I think going into the new campaign, I probably am a bit more concerned than confident when it comes to Liverpool will definitely move past whatever happened last season. I'm still a little bit on the fence as to whether that's definitely going to happen. Like a few seasons ago, Obviously, when we, we fell off a cliff a bit with Van Dijk injured, Gomez injured, Matip injured, no fans in the ground. That The following season, I was confident Liverpool were going to just go for the league again, comfortably, um, just simply by getting players back. This time around, I'm a little bit more, let's see. And I'm still like that. Obviously, I can't do that. I can't judge too much from pre-season. So, it's going to be interesting going into the Chelsea game. But as of right now, then... Um, just looking at squads currently where they're at and stuff without any more additions as it stands. Where do Liverpool's finish for you? Um, I still think we're good enough to finish in the top three. I think we need to be luckier than we were with injuries last season. But yeah, with confident saying that there could be more, there could be less, but that's where I'd be sticking my my pin, third place. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I think I, I currently have Liverpool as probably the third best team in the league. Um, I think we're still defensively um, against the ball a little bit off the level of Arsenal and City. And that's why I said earlier in the pod, just move the needle a little bit towards that and get the balance a little bit more refined, a little bit more fine-tuned. And I think we can then challenge. But in terms of like... Um, you know, dropping below third or being in a fight for the top four or anything like that. I am personally a little bit relaxed about that, really, even despite Liverpool's massive uh, lack of balance when it comes to the squad being so offensive. I think Man United last season were just 
they, for me, they weren't the third best team in the league. They were nowhere near the third best team in the league for me. They just what they won a lot of games one nil. Uh, for example, the goal difference at the end of the season, Man United was plus fifteen. Arsenal's in second was was plus forty five, and Newcastle's in fourth was plus thirty five. Man United yeah. plus fifteen, mate. Even Liverpool with a completely broken team, an absolutely terrible season. Liverpool finished on plus twenty eight. So Man United and are, are not the team that people think they are. And this summer have helped that, I think, by getting in um Mason Mount and Anana in particular. Um Newcastle, I think, have essentially stood still a bit for me. Um getting in Sanzo Tonali is a uh, I think he's a decent holding midfielder. I think he can definitely play with the ball and things like that. 70 million is too much for me, though. Um, and I've got European football now every three days or so. So that's going to be tricky for them. Brighton, again, similarly, are going to be playing a lot more often than he did last season. And Villa. Spurs are an interesting one for me in terms of just... I think Postacoglu's uh, certainly one to watch. I think Spurs will be very exciting this season. I think... A lot of that, though, in terms of whether they challenge for the top four, for me, depends on whether Kane stays, obviously, and that's, as at the time of recording now, that's a little bit up in the air at the minute. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. A little bit up in the air, that's a, a, a little bit of an understatement, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we'd be in a very embarrassing situation for Spurs if he ends up staying now or... But um, which is a really strange place to be. Spurs would be embarrassed about keeping the player that they want to keep. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I think when your, your assessment of everyone else kind of rings true with me. I think for Manchester United, they have, like you say, they've replaced the goalkeeper, which I think will overall make them better. But again, if you look at last season, if they're winning by small margins and losing by large margins, then you have to think that maybe they will regress to the mean and they will draw some of those games that they were winning, I think. But Newcastle, it's a difficult one because everyone is almost expecting them to struggle with the extra workload. And yeah, it doesn't really look like they have prepared well enough for that. So yeah, I agree with you. Brighton, I still think it could surprise people because <laughs> they, they always seem to find a way of doing that. Villa... Arguably, I think you've got a deeper squad than Newcastle, even though they're dealing with a few injuries. So they may start slow, but there'll be ones to watch out for in February, March time. But I agree. I think that Arsenal and Manchester City are the only... And at the worst days. So I think that we should be in the mix for the top four. I think we should also be looking to secure at least one trophy at the same time. I believe that those two um, missions can work concurrently. And if that is achieved, that sounds like a very good season. It might take a few bumps to get there, but... Yeah, yeah. I think um, that brings us to Chelsea, obviously. I didn't touch on Chelsea then when I was kind of weighing up Liverpool's uh, top four rivals. Um, So far this summer, Chelsea have signed Christopher Nkunku, who's obviously... Going to miss the next three months, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Axel Desazi from Monaco, defender. Uh, Nicholas Jackson from Villarreal. Um, <laughs> Leslie Ogu Chungwogu, something like that, <laughs> from um, Rennes. Robert Sanchez. And 
Angelo from um, Santos. So some curious business in there from Chelsea. Obviously, lots of lots of work with Pochettino to do. He seems to be edging towards what I preferred team. You know what? I seem to have a fairly decent gauge on who he's going to select ahead of the the new season. What are you expecting mm. from Chelsea? And and you know how tough do you think this game will be? Um, well, it's got considerably easier for me without Nkunku. I think it's a real shame for the guy because I thought he was primed to be was one of the people who really set the league alight. Watching, I had caught some of their preseason, strangely enough, and he looked like he was moving well within that system, building a uh, understanding with Nicholas. For us to not have to deal with him in this game, I think is a massive plus. I believe uh, Madwaki is also injured as well, which means that it's likely to be Mudrick, uh, Raheem Sterling, uh, Chukwameka playing as a 10, and then maybe Santos or Gallagher. But ironically enough, Chelsea's strongest unit is still their defenders. The, the back four, Chilwell, Colwell, Silva and Reese James. That is one of the best, I think, in terms of a collective, if they can keep them together. Obviously, there's still a question mark over who's going to be playing behind them. Uh, Kepa, I believe, is currently... ...just bought Sanchez. So we don't know whether or not he's been bought to come in while they do that deal or whether Kepa's going to keep the if for the first game. So there were still a lot of questions for them to answer. Obviously, they've got a new manager coming in, so... They're going to be keen to impress. They're going to be. It's going to be an intense game. You can't expect Chelsea to be rudderless and disinterested like they were sometimes last season. It's going to be a tough game. So, I think it's going to be a mad one. That's my honest opinion. <laughs> I I personally am expecting goals. I don't know about you, Mo. Um, and I think a lot of that just stems from the the kind of upheaval that. Both ta- both sides have kind of endured this this summer, specifically in midfield, and um, you know pe- people are concerned that like Liverpool's midfield is not ready or whatever because we haven't really signed a defensive mind presence or anything like that. Neither of Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea are, are definitely lacking that. They've just lost N'Golo Kanté, they've just lost Nick or uh, Mateo Kovacic, um, and it it looks like in in the first game it probably looks like it's going to be. Probably Kepper in goal, possibly Sanchez though. Um, then a back four, as you say, more Reese James, Thiago Silva, Levi, uh, Levi Colville, and uh, Ben Chilwell. And you've got to bear in mind, you could argue all four of them are, are accustomed to playing as part of a back five rather than a four. So that, that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Enzo Fernandez is massive for them. He's comfortably their best player. I think, you know, very, very good player. And I think, you know, Chelsea paid a lot of money for him. And some people have labelled him as a flop because he hasn't really grabbed the headlines. But believe me, he's a very, very good player. Uh, he's probably going to play next to um, either Conor Gallagher or is it Andre Santos? Yeah. Who I don't know too much about, to be honest. <clears throat> um, um, he, he's, he's, he seems a bit more in the kind of energetic, industrious destroyer mode. Not necessarily someone who's going to pass you around, but... I guess you could almost say the same with Conor Gallagher as well. It will be interesting to see which one of them Pochettino goes for. From listening to speaking to um, Chelsea fans, they've been impressed by Santos in uh, pre-season, but he's still very young. Obviously, Conor Gallagher 
his Premier League. It would be, what, his third season as a Premier League player now. So you can understand if it was him, but you never know. Poch might try and spring a young one. We're going to have an inexperienced midfield as well, so maybe he feels like he can take the chance. Yeah, as you say, in attack, it's probably going to be Chukwemeka as a 10, Raheem Sterling on the flanks with Mudrich, which is definitely quick. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Nicholas Jackson probably up front, who, to be fair to him, has probably looked like, unless I'm missing someone apart from Enzo Fernandez, obviously, I think Nicholas Jackson's probably looked like the the best signing of the Bowley era so far. It's extremely early days, obviously. But he does look good in pre-season. He looks really industrious, willing to press, willing to lead the line and things like that. And he scored a few goals. So, in terms of like Van Dijk and Canate, it's a Pochettino team. You're probably going to be under pressure, you would assume, um, from the off. So, it's going to be interesting to see how Liverpool get around that. But overall, Chelsea at the minute, I think it's probably a good time to play them, to be honest. Yeah. Getting, getting them out the way early. Because um, they, they can only get better, really, with time under Pochettino. And as I said, they've got a, one or two injuries and things like that, uncertain goalkeeping departments. I think, regardless of which goalkeeper you pick, not neither of them are a patch on Allison when it comes to a uh, shot stopping and like that, making a real difference. <laughs> so it's a tough first game, but I don't know. Part of me is a little bit like it, it could benefit with this. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. No, I agree. And I think the main beneficiary can be from the potential lift from a win against a team like this. Because like you say, they are still working it out. But if we can put distance between us and them early on, then we can use that. Particularly if we then can get a win against Bournemouth and then go into the Newcastle and Villa games, feeling like we're on a bit of momentum and we're feeling good about ourselves. It's a very different reading than maybe be a defeat here, uh, a difficult draw against Bournemouth, and suddenly we, we're going to um, neighbours as we're looking for our first win of the season in the third game, like we did last season where we went to Old Trafford and got beat. So, yeah, you can already see how the paths can be very different just from a very short space of time. I'd like to think that in that scenario, obviously, we would still be within the transfer window, so things could look different. But I think for Chelsea, obviously. I mentioned as well, Tyler Adams, I don't think he's going to be fit to start. I believe, I'm not even 100% sure he's recovered from the injury that he had when he was at Leeds. So he'll be going into their squad rather than playing him. So yeah, it is a good time to face Chelsea. <sighs> do I think we can go there and win? Yes. Do I think we will? Don't ask me. For some reason, I've got, I've got two two in my head. I, I don't really know why. Um but I do again. I keep going back to it. Liverpool have got an extremely high ceiling squad, and when everything goes well, this team is going to score like nine in the, in a game or something. Like you can just see it happening. But yeah. you can also see it going wrong. And I, I do rate Poch. It's at Chelsea. Chelsea have got good individuals. They can build from the back, which has been a problem for Liverpool at times when that initial press is beaten. So it's a difficult one to preview, especially having not seen either team in a competitive game yet. So yeah. it's difficult to preview. But in, in terms of um, the season as a whole, I'm going to put you on the spot. We will do some some kind of generic predictions. So in terms of your top four, as it stands, obviously things can change. We might revisit this at the end of the window. Mm-hmm. But your top four, as it stands now, what are we going for? Um, Manchester City, Arsenal, 
Liverpool. And only <laughs> just Man United. Is that in order? Yeah. So you think City are going to win the league again? Yeah. I think I'm going to throw a little curveball in there. I'm going to say Arsenal are going to win the league this season. Um, I'm going to say City second, Liverpool third. And yeah, the fourth is tricky, but I think even despite being very lucky last season, I think Man United, by the end of the window, are probably going to have done just about enough in the market to, mm. to stay in that top four. I think Newcastle were very, very good last season, though. And Brighton were... Brighton finished top of the league for shots, mate. Brighton took more shots in the full Premier League season than anybody else. That is unbelievable. But I do think that the, yeah. the Europa League will... Uh, be a bit tricky for them, but and I, I think Spurs, yeah. Spurs are probably me me outside bet for the for the top four. I think they're really get, they're going to be great to watch the season. I think Spurs, but that's my top four in terms of a relegation thing. Then bottom three, who are you going for? Uh, first of all, let me just say I'm packing Spurs for the FA Cup in case that's not one for a feature. Um, <laughs> I do think it's going to be Sheffield United are going to struggle. I do think. Um, I honestly can't say I've seen a lot of Luton, so I, I don't know whether or not they'll prove me wrong, but I would put them in the mix as well. And then the third one, there's a lots of teams for whom it's looking bad. Uh, I would put Wolves in that category. I put Nottingham Forest in that category. I put Everton still in that category. Um, you could tell me any one of those three also went down and I'd be like, fair enough. So I know I'm giving you five rather than giving you three. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with bottom of the league, Sheffield United. And I think 19th and 18th will be, I think, um, Wolves and Everton at the minute. Um, I think Luton are going to be an absolute throwback in terms of like proper Stoke City, Tony Pulis, mm. horrible to play against. And I think potentially in the first season, I think it could get them enough points to just kind of scrape it and stay up. And then probably the following season, they'll just lose the all 38 games or something like that. I could see something like that happen, really. Yeah. Um, Forrest, I agree with you, a little bit little bit dodgy. I think Burnley and then system wants to follow to see if their ability in the Championship can translate. Because last season, they absolutely dominated that league. And I think they finished with over 100 points off the top of my head. Yeah, um, they did. Yeah, and they've signed a few interesting players as well. So, in terms of like a, a surprise package for the season, in terms of a team, um, do you think there's anyone that you've kind of got your eye on, as in like they're going to surprise a few or anything like that? Um, it's difficult because I think this is always the hardest thing to predict because everybody goes into the season feeling confident in the players they've got and the plans they've got. And some people are right, some people are wrong. Um it's difficult. It's hard to really call them uh, under a surprise pick because they were good last season. But I do think Aston Villa are going to get better. I do think they're going to be in the Champions League conversation for the majority of the season, even if they do end up just missing out. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to tip Bournemouth to have a good season. Um, I like the new coach. I think he is... Everyone, obviously kind of flipped when Gary O'Neill left and uh, wondered why after the job that he did. But the, the fellow who's replaced him, 
by all accounts, from what I've seen, what, what I've read about him and things like that, looks really interesting. So I think Bournemouth could do quite well. And again, I'm, I've just said them, but I think Spurs as well could be the a proper entertainers this season. I think Postecoglou looks really good. I think Madison could could do a lot for them in terms of feed and Kane if he stays. Um, I, th- I saw a quote from Postecoglou recently, and Spurs were like one 0 up or something in a friendly, and they just naturally did what Spurs have done over the past few seasons and started to sit on it. And he called yeah. it out in the press conference after it and yeah. said, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? You know, and it, it felt a bit clop a few years ago. You know what I mean? So that'll be interesting to follow for me. No, I, I do think Spurs are going to have a better season. And I do think that they are probably going to start enjoying their football for the first time in a while. That's kind of why I picked them to win the FA Cup. I think it might take a couple of good draws. But I think they, the kind of football that they play, the kind of atmosphere that they can generate with that football and that stadium, I do think is suited for cup football. And obviously, they're not in Europe. So yeah. they are probably going to target one of the two big ones. I think the FA Cup comes at the right time in the season for them to be able to really go for it. So, yeah, I think it is looking up. Obviously, I think that if they do, it's going to weird to be weird to say, if they do sell Harry Kane, I think it will be better for them not to immediately replace him in this window. I'd be waiting to January simply yeah. because everyone knows how much money they've got for Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's not even... A, now, they may look at someone slightly younger, like a Gift Orban, who I know is, is a name that's been banded around, who I think could be a very good player. But you're looking at Richardson and you're saying, okay, you think you, you can be a number nine in the Premier League? Go prove it. And I think that he'll take that um, mantle on, even though he didn't necessarily score a lot of goals last season. I think, <laughs> he'll, be able, I think he'll be able to put that to bed this year. Yeah, well, listen, it's going to be interesting to follow. We will be here every week, all season. Um, hopefully, Liverpool will have a good one, but obviously the window's still open. We still have business to do. Hopefully, in a couple of weeks' time, Liverpool looks stronger and we can kind of revisit these predictions, potentially, if it's worth doing. But... Yeah, the Premier League is on the horizon. Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. And joined the FPL, the FPL League for us as well. Of course, of course. Um, I'm not going to tell you what my team name is, but you'll <laughs> if if you haven't guessed it by next week, then um, I'll let you know. But all I all I'll let you know is that it's based around a Liverpool player, and it's a terrible plan. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that one. Uh, so yeah, do join before the the weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.